Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, then every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Thank you, Guy, for um, reading for us. Uh, now, suppose, suppose that you wanted to describe yourself to somebody, uh, but they couldn't see you, uh, and, um, uh, and you, they, they'd never met you, and they couldn't see you, uh, and you had to describe yourself, and you could only do it with one single word or one single fact about yourself, what would you choose? Uh, would, you, would you go for your gender, male or female? Would you go for your age? Uh, would you go for your nationality? Uh, would you describe the place where you were born? Would you tell someone your job? If you only just had one thing, what would you choose to identify yourself? What about you most clearly represents your identity? What makes you, you? Or uh, try, try another question. That's a slightly different one this time. Um, what do the films Frozen, The Greatest Showman, Babe, and Ants, if you're old enough to remember either of those, what, what do they have in common? Pause for you to roll it around. What all of those films have in common is that they all concern the quest to discover the real me. 
It's become the preoccupation of our contemporary age, isn't it? You can catch it in the various slogans that you hear. You have to be you. Be true to yourself. Just follow your heart. Discover your real self. And our age is... is persuaded that that is accomplished, that discovering of the real me. Uh, it's accomplished by gazing within, by finding the, the, the true me that is within myself uh, and managing to express it. Whereas on the other hand, conforming to somebody else's ideas, somebody else's views about the you that you should be, Oh, that's terrible. That's constricting and constraining. It's an oppressive thing to have somebody else tell you what you should be like. My truth, my version of myself, well, that liberates me. But other truths, oh, they're constraining and restricting. That's why I have to be myself. Now, it's not hard to see, is it, uh, how that kind of mindset, which is so, so, so strongly voiced today, so much a part of the way that our culture thinks, um, that mindset is a pretty tricky thing for church and for Christians. Because Christianity and the church is very much about saying what people should be. Church is a big institution, at least in people's minds, with views about the way that things should be done. And the Christian faith is, is full of ethical statements and instructions and guidelines that, that tell us who we are. And that's a pretty uncomfortable thing for our culture. Expressive individualism, which is the posh name that gets given for the thing I've just described, well, expressive individualism doesn't much like being told what to be like. Because it, it, it kind of feels wrong to us. Following the ancient instructions of, of, of some sort of scriptures, conforming to some external code, well, it, it feels like a betrayal it feels like I'm letting myself down. It, it feels like I'm, I'm letting somebody else tell me how I should be and not being the really brave thing, which is being willing to, to be who I really am, regardless of what anyone else says. That's portrayed to us as, as the, the brave, the heroic thing to do. Well, what happens when church um, encounters this kind of cultural um, expression that we find in our world at the moment? How does church respond when it finds itself in a, in a culture that is saying this kind of stuff? Uh, well, understandably, and perhaps without really quite realizing it, church begins to adapt it begins to, to mold its message a little bit, to make itself a little bit more acceptable to the spirit of the age. 
And, and one of the ways that it might do that is that it, instead of making a declaration, as it were, to say that look, Jesus Christ is Lord, He is the one to whom we must submit, well, we, we sort of massage that a little bit. And we say, we present Jesus as a, as a sort of, as a therapeutic choice. You know, here's Jesus, he'll help you in your quest for self-fulfillment. And soon people are coming to Christ and coming to church, not because they're persuaded that it is true, but in the belief that it will somehow help them to express themselves more and to find fulfillment. Now, the locus shifts from God to me. Instead of God being at the center and us organizing ourselves around God, we're at the center, my quest for fulfillment, my efforts to find my true self. And Jesus, well, he becomes one of the ways that I will use in my project. I am Lord, and Jesus is helping me with my self-fulfillment. Now, do, do you see that if you're persuaded, if you hear that sort of noise, and you can hear it in those films, can't you? Um, as uh, as the, the, the key character, bravely and heroic, breaks through from the constraints uh, upon them uh, to, to blossom into their real self. Uh, we see it again and again uh, in our media representations in that way. Well, it, it's got profound implications uh, for the way that we will begin to engage with church. Um, because instead of church um, being the community to which I belong, all too easily church becomes a resource that I may choose to use. Um, this way of thinking is, is both very pervasive, it's all over the place. Once you start to look for it, you see it everywhere. And it's also um, very persuasive. We get taken in by it, and if we think we haven't been, then that's probably a pretty sure sign that we have. So, why are we doing this? You know, why are you sitting there listening to me? Speaking from, well, in a minute, speaking from this book, the Bible. It's a weird thing to be doing, isn't it? You're doing something very countercultural at the moment, and maybe you're feeling pretty uncomfortable about it. You know, in other words, exposing yourself to an external authority, God's word in the Bible. Or maybe you're not. Maybe you're hoping to, to pick up some things that will assist you in being more like the true you that you're trying to find at the moment, and you're just seeing if this is going to give you some bits of help along the way. But if the Bible is more than that, if the Bible really is an external authority, and there's a logic to that, isn't there? If you stop and think about it for a moment. If there is a creator God who, who brought us into being so that we are his creatures, then you would expect that he would have to speak to us he would have to reveal himself. He who is outside creation declares to us things that we don't know. That would be the logic of it. And, and if that happened, if God did make himself clear through the pages of the Bible, then one of the things you would expect is that, um, in a sense, the Bible would, would annoy all of us at some point. Because God would have some things to say 
that correct us, whoever we are, whatever culture we live in. In other words, the, the Bible ought to offend every culture at some point. And it's uh, an argument that um, Tim Keller uses to show how actually that is what happens. You, th you think about it. If um, in a traditional shame-based culture, uh, someone from that culture reading the Bible, and they come across the story of Peter denying Jesus, and then Jesus forgiving him and making him one of the leaders of the church. And someone from a shame-based culture says, that's terrible. That shouldn't happen. I mean, he's, he's done an outrageous, awful thing in letting Jesus down like that. That's, I, I find that offensive, that the leader of the church should be a man like that. Whereas we in the West, well, we quite like that. We quite like the idea of forgiveness and getting someone back on track when they've made a mistake. So we're fine with that, Peter being forgiven and put back on track. But a shame-based culture, I find it very offensive. But then flip it the other way. You go to the end of, of Matthew's Gospel and find the parable of the sheep and the goats leading to the final judgment and to a separation uh, of some who are accepted and some who are rejected. And we in the West, oh, we find that terrible. We find that really uncomfortable that some people are going to be rejected and some people accepted. Whereas a person from a traditional culture, well, the idea of a final judgment, they've, they've always assumed that was the way it worked. So that bit of the Bible is no problem to them at all. If the Bible is God's transcultural word, then what you'd expect is that all of us would find it a bit annoying at some point. And the points might differ, but we'd always expect that God has got something fresh and surprising to say uh, to all of us. Well, let's get, therefore, to the three observations uh, in the Bible uh, about church and community and what God has in mind for us. Um, from that passage that Guy read for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there are just three things uh, that I think are, are worth saying about, about community. Here's the first. Um, every Christian belongs. Church is not optional. Now, come back to the beginning of the passage, to, uh, to verse uh, 12, where Paul writes, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whoever we are. Or whether we're Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, it doesn't, doesn't matter who you are, Paul is saying. We're all given the one Spirit to drink, and so the body is made up, not of one part, but of many. And, and kind of what's, kind of without any question for Paul in that opening paragraph, is that in becoming a Christian, we become part of the body. It, it's not as though, is it, that you become a Christian, and in becoming a Christian, you, you sort of, you gain an option. You know, it is now possible, if you'd like to, uh, to, to join a church, because you've become a Christian. So, so now, you know, if you, if you want you could go join a church. That's not the way that Paul sees it. No, in becoming a Christian, you become part of the body. You become part of the church. It just, it, that's the way it is. 
There is no other way of it being. Actually, did you notice? What Paul really says is that in becoming a Christian, you become part of Christ. Is that funny? See it there, end of verse 12. It's not the way that you expect the sentence to end. Just as a body, though one has many parts, bore its many parts form one body, so it is with... And you think he's going to save the church, but he doesn't. He says, so it is with Christ. To become a Christian, you belong to Christ. You become a part of Christ's body, him the head, uh, and the body, the church, together. There, There is no solitary Christianity. There are no unaffiliated believers. To become a Christian is to become a part of the church. That is the way that it is. And in, in grappling with that truth, you'd have to say that the pandemic hasn't helped us over much, has it? Because in COVID era, doing church has suddenly looked very different. Online church has made it possible to, to attend a church full of people that I've never met, gathering in a building that I've never entered, and serving a community about which I know nothing. Now, I'm not against streaming services, those of you from home. You're okay. I'm not against streaming services. And and in a time when it was impossible uh, for us to be able to gather together, I'm glad that we could gather virtually in that way. But we do also need to be aware of, of the way in which streaming services and doing church online drags us in the direction of a consumer mentality. At one of the great, oh, there it is, one of the great symbols, it seems to me, of uh, the consumer era is this, my remote control. Because with it, I can choose. I can choose my channel. I can choose the volume. I can press the mute button and silence people. I can pause things and stop things and switch things off altogether. With my remote control, I rule. I choose what I consume or don't. Now, if you... If, if you want sort of well, the, the, the clearest and most evident evidence, um, and I genuinely can't remember who said this to me. I, I, I'm sure it wasn't somebody here. But I remember having a conversation with somebody who told me that, that when we were in that kind of lockdown sort of you know, online church era, what they used to do was they would, they would stream three church services simultaneously. You know, they have a sort of, you know, three windows open. Um, or three screens, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't ask, I was just feeling a bit sort of sweaty and sick. No, so, so they had these, these three screens open, and, and they're streaming these three services all at the same time. Um, and when it came to the sermon, they said they would, they'd flip between them to see which of the sermons sounded most entertaining, and then they'd mute the other two. I didn't ask the question, <laughs> in case you're wondering. 
Uh, that would have been too painful uh, to, to have heard the answer. Um, but, but how weird. Can you imagine that sort of consumer mentality? Which, which church do I fancy today? You can see how online church has enabled us to do that in an extraordinary way. And in describing church this way, church isn't something that you come and, and consume, you come and, uh, still worse, entertain by. The church is what you belong to. You are linked to it as a part of a body. And in the next section, um, uh, Paul speaks to, to two groups. Maybe, maybe you, you know a little bit of the background of the church in Corinth, which was a, which was a church full of kind of divisions and, and arguments, and all sorts of things were, were tearing them apart. And one of those things was um, the idea of, of the value of different gifts. Some people had this gift, and they felt very important, and they looked down on those people who only had that gift, and that wasn't very important, so they didn't very impressed by that. Um, and some people felt more a part of things, and some people sort of pushed other people out, uh, and so on. Um, and schisms and divisions uh, were the order of the day in Corinth. And, and Paul is writing this letter, and this section in particular, to speak into that. And, and in these next couple of paragraphs, he speaks first to, to some people who were kind of, um, kind of pulling away from the church, Say, so I don't really want to be a part of the church. And then he speaks to a group who are, who are kind of pushing people out of the church, saying, I'm not sure we want you. Um, see, see how it goes. Um, the, the first um, is uh, in verses 15 through to 20, where Paul effectively says, don't leave. Diversity matters. Uh, and what you get is the, is the sense in verses 15 to 20 of body parts, if I can put it like that, who don't feel a sense of belonging because they feel a bit inadequate, a bit not good enough. Um, verse 15, now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. I mean, you, you sort of get this, can't you? I mean, you know, feet just feeling a little bit fed up. You know, people, people are treading me all the time. I really don't like it. You know, I mean, it's, you know, look at those hands. They get to move all over the place. They gesture and things. I mean, I'm just stuck down there. Just, oh, and think people drop things on me as well. It's terrible. Um, you know, it's just miserable being a foot. It's just so dull, boring. If only it was a hand. I, I don't feel, you know, I think I'm just going to shove off from this body. I'm just fed up being a foot, so I'm just going to take myself off, no more. Or, um, verse 16, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And you can imagine that as well, can't you? The ears. I mean, ears, ears are, have, have really had a tough time through COVID, haven't they? Because, I mean, it's, it's bad enough having glasses sort of resting on me. You know, and then I stand up front and I have this funny sort of microphone thing, and, and that's quite sharp, and it Pings my ears sometimes, that hurts, poor ears. And now, on top of all of that, we have to put a mask on. I mean, you know, the ears have had to multitask. It's miserable for ears, just at the minute. They've got so much work to do. And eyes, oh, eyes are fine. You know, eyes, we look after those. Um, nothing difficult happens to eyes. I wish I was an eye. I'm fed up being an ear. I'm leaving. I've had enough. I'm out of this body. And Paul's saying, it's a madness that you could think like that. 
it just doesn't work. You are a part of the body. Whatever role you have, the body has all these different parts and every part belongs. And in that sense, Paul is helping to see, look, diversity is good. And, and, and we understand. Um, there are things that we like, aren't there? I, I like Yorkshire puddings. But if when I go over to the Burley Arms later on, um, and order my Sunday lunch, um, I get presented with a plate that is exclusively Yorkshire puddings. No, no gravy, no roast beef, nothing, just, just, just Yorkshire puddings. It will be, it will be a disappointing thing, because I know that diversity is good. You need the whole range. And the same applies to church. And, and a bit of us thinks that church would be so much better. That was just all people like me. We, we have that kind of fantasy. You know, it is just everyone was sort of, you know, similar sort of personality to me. You know, I didn't have all these difficult other people around. You know, if, if, if everyone, I mean, it's so difficult having all those old people. If anyone was everyone young, we'd be, we'd be a bright, vibrant church. And then and all the, the old people are thinking, oh, those young people, noisy. Crashing around. Terrible. We get into this mindset of thinking, you know, if it could just be people like me, then it'd be a happy church. It'd be a good church there. And we're wrong. We're utterly, utterly wrong. That's not the way that we need it. That's not the way that God plans it. That's not the way that it needs to be. Diversity is good. It's necessary. But it doesn't mean that diversity is easy. Uh, it may be because of all the stuff that's going on at the moment. I find myself um, being a bit nostalgic, thinking about past years. And, and I sort of wind back to, to nearly 18 years ago when um, some of you still here, um, uh, a group of us uh, arrived at a church graft. And because we'd, we'd come from a, from a church that's sort of lots of university links, actually, we were all a little bit monochrome. We were all pretty much the same. And one of the things that's happened over the last 18 years is that we've become more diverse as a community. Much, much bigger spread of ages. Much bigger spread of backgrounds. Um, now, in order for that to happen, you stop and think about it. It must have been that at some points over the last 18 years, some people arrived here. Uh, and as it were, they arrived on a Sunday, they look round and they think, ooh, uh. Who were? Who, who? I'm not sure I belong here. Can't see anybody who's got the same skin colour as me. Can't see anybody who's the same age as me. Can't see anybody who's with the same kind of social background as me. And at that point, it'd be very easy, wouldn't it, to turn around and say, well, it's clearly not the church for me. I'm off. And over the years... I found myself from time to time, as it were, trying to run to the door and get in the way and block their way out. I mean, you know, roughly speaking, in, in a sort of nice, friendly kind of way. I mean, usually it's happened a little while down the line. And, and usually it's happened... I, I've had conversations like this, where somebody might say, I, you know, the, the thing is, I'm, I feel really strongly about social action, and I love getting involved in, in sort of you know, helping the community, and, and you, you don't seem to do any of that. 
at Christ Church. You know, you just, you know, you, you, you sit around, you do quite a lot of thinking um, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you don't, you don't get on and do stuff. You know, social action projects, you know, helping the poor, food banks, all that kind of stuff. You, you know, you haven't done any of that, have you? And I say, no, you're right. Please don't go. Because if that's what you're passionate about, we need you. We need lots and lots of people like you that care about that kind of stuff and are good at it and, and know how to do it. Please don't go. Because if you go, there's no chance we'll start to do that kind of stuff. We need you because you're different. Or, or, or uh, talk to somebody else and have a conversation with somebody who says, you know, I, I'm really not sure Christ is the church for me. Because kind of praising the Lord, well, that, that's quite important to me. You know, being able, being able to sing and express myself when I'm singing. And, well, at Christchurch, well, at, at Christchurch, well, well, at Christchurch, nobody smiles when they're singing. And I, I mean, nobody puts up their hands. Nobody seems to be very excited about the Lord at all, as far as I can tell. And I say, well, well they are. No, honestly, they are, really, really. No, 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 they are. It's just... It's just hidden. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're deeply passionate about the Lord. Just, they, just, they just hide it really well. But it'd be lovely if you could stay with your exuberant, kind of enthusiastic, passionate, very visible love of the Lord when you're singing songs on a Sunday, because that'd be good for the rest of us who don't do that terribly much. Because diversity matters, doesn't it? It's good for us who, you know, kind of struggle to identify an emotion and express it. So to have people around who are rather better at that than we are. Don't leave. Find yourself in a church. Perhaps you're finding yourself in this church right now thinking, oh, I don't know if I quite fit here. That may be the strongest and most important reason for you to be a part of things. Which brings us to a final section uh, where Paul says, don't ignore. We need each other. Um, that's the final section from uh, verses uh, 21 on. Uh, where uh, we read, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Uh, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. And Paul says that's just not true. That's not the way that it is. Um, well, one writer uses a picture like this. Um, you know those deep sea diver types, um, you know, with the big heavy kind of metal boots and the, 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 the big round helmets? Um, you know those deep sea diver types, they sort of walk around on the, on, the, on the bottom of the ocean. And they have those tubes, don't they? That, that go up sometimes to the, to the ship to, to give them the oxygen as they, as they clomp around, doing their clomping around thing. Well, one writer says, some people's view of church is a little bit like that. You know, the, the only, you know, I just go to church to get my vertical feed. You know, I, I come in, I sit, uh, you know, we have a little bit of Bible teaching or, you know, whatever it is, my thing that sort of, you know, gives me my stuff. Um, and, and then off I go again. And... 
you know, I might sort of accidentally, because I can't see out of my helmet very well, I might bump into somebody else, but that's an accident, and, and you know, I just say apologise and I'll, and I'll scuttle on past. Uh, and people treat church a bit like that. Uh, and Paul is saying here that that's not the way that it is. Don't, don't imagine that, that the only thing that matters is, is kind of this vertical connection and the horizontal, that's just a bit sort of by the by. It's not. The horizontal relationships, the connections that we make with one another, the community that we build, is absolutely fundamental and central to all that God intends church to be. See, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Don't need, don't need other people around me. Body isn't a body unless it has all of its part. You can't be a body on your own. And indeed, the bits that we think don't matter much, uh, according to Paul, mm, seem to matter most of all. Verse 22, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. In fact, verse 24, God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. Um, and one of the ways that that gets revealed, this sort of interconnection, um, is that if one part suffers, verse 26, every part suffers with it. One part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. We feel with one another. We grieve and rejoice and struggle with one another. And that's the way that God intends it to be. That's what happens when the body works the way that God intends. So how will we respond? Finding ourselves in this culture which tells us that it's all about finding the real you inside. Will we dare to let church or to let God through his church shape us and form us and direct who it is we are and what it is we'll do. That's the challenge that this passage would put before us at this moment in our culture, to allow God through his church to have that shaping influence upon us. Because if we do, then we'll find that we become more and more like Jesus Christ. So, so two final encouragements as we wrap up. Um, the, the, the first would be, just come. Be at church. Do, do whatever you can to, to, to avoid anything that gets in the way of you being here on a Sunday and being in your small group midweek. Don't, don't fall for the, the, the sort of mental process that says, I, I, I don't feel much like church today. Or... I'm not in the mood. I don't think I'll get much out of it. That's consumer mindset speaking. Come because you being here isn't about whether you're going to get something out of it. You being here is because you're part of the body. And the body is incomplete without you. Uh, and then when you come, break some barriers. Step across some of the barriers that divide us. Step across an age barrier. Talk to somebody at a different stage of life to you. Talk to somebody with a, with a different social background to you. Make a point of doing that. 
Because stepping across those barriers is Christ-like. Jesus stepped across the, the biggest barrier that could ever be stepped across as he stepped out of glory into our fallen world to reclaim us. And, and when church forms a community with bound together with relationships that are full of grace and full of kindness and full of love, then we, we are able not just to present Christ with our words, but we present Christ by the very character of our community together. And, and the world sees something distinctive and they learn of Christ just from the way that we are as a people together. Let me lead us in a prayer and then we're going to sing. Our Father God, we thank you for the Lord Jesus uh, breaking into our world be and breaking down um, that greatest of barriers, the barrier uh, that our sinful rebellion against you caused. And we thank you that the Lord Jesus breaking that barrier uh, has broken down uh, barriers amongst us uh, so that for, for Paul in his day there was no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. Uh, and in our age, uh, would we similarly uh, uh, be... Well, actually, we need you to do it, Lord. Uh, we won't do it on our own. W would you, by your Spirit, uh, cause us to become uh, the community uh, that will bring you glory uh, by breaking down uh, so many of the, the barriers that, that do divide us? Uh, please help us, uh, for we are far from what we should be. Uh, and we want to, to be the community that will glorify you. Uh, so come by the power of your spirit, please, uh, to do these things. In Jesus' name, amen.